Job 29, I want you to look again. And I want you to notice how Job yearned for the things that he really missed before his great trial, before he seemingly lost everything. Verse 2, moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past. In other words, not years and years ago. Job is not longing for his childhood. He's not longing for the good old days of youth in some bygone era. No, this was months ago, he says. Oh, that I had. This is literally weeks ago. It's still 2023, so to speak. And again, here's what he longs for. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when... God preserved me when his candle shined upon my head and when by his light I walked through darkness. Now, folks, I want you to think about this testimony in verse 3 for just a moment because it's really a very familiar picture throughout the Word of God. Job said this. He said, I miss the days when God's candle shined where? Upon my head and when by that light I could walk in darkness. In other words, Job uses the ancient imagery, if you will, of an oil lamp called a candle in this version, of course, our version. And that's an oil lamp that was held high. It was either held high as you walked or hung up in a caravan, and it gave just enough light to shine on the head, on his face, and on his feet. And of course, this is a familiar picture in Scripture. The psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp. Same thing, the oil lamp, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's candle shining upon the face and the feet. Psalm 69 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Psalm 37, 23, The steps of a good man, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And yes, this is what Job looks for and longs for. This is the thing, the light of God shining and revealing, not His entire future. Not 5, 10, 20 years from now. But rather, he says, just that light of God upon His face and His feet so that He could walk by steps in all that darkness. You know the text, a man's heart. A man's heart deviseth his way. His way? Yeah, that's his future. That's his ambitions and his plans. But Job wasn't asking for that, folks. He just wanted the Lord to reveal his path. All he wanted to do was see his way again. You know, when it's really, really dark, you don't need the Luxor lamp in Las Vegas, the strongest light beam on earth. 43 billion candela. With that light, you can actually read the paper from 10 miles out in space. But people of faith don't need that. Matter of fact, people of faith are never called to that. Because in the darkness, God's Word is a lamp unto our feet, and it's a light under our path. And oh, I were, Job said, I would that it were in months past. When His candle shined upon my face, and when by His light I could walk through the current darkness. That's what he missed. And you know, folks, it is a powerful reminder this morning that amidst trials and amidst tears, 
and troubles and darkness and deceit as a child of God, that's also and exactly all we really need. Let's pray. Father, we need your help today. And we pray again, all of us in this room, please speak to hearts. Our hearts, our lives, those that we love, please speak to us through your word, reminding us of why it is and how it is that the just shall live by faith. Bless your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. A man's heart deviseth his way. In other words, a man wants to know where he's going, why he's going there, how long, who he's going to be when he gets there, and not just tomorrow, but five and ten years from now. That's a man's heart who deviseth his way. You know, there's a big difference between the words deviseth and directeth. The Lord directeth his steps. When you're talking about matters of future events, or prior knowledge, when you're talking about promises and predictions and plans that we all have, there's also a big difference between our way and His steps. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord of that shall stand. And you know, it's very significant that in the midst of the darkest trial ever, arguably, right? In the midst of the very darkest days, all Job wanted, all he longed for was the candle, the lamp of God. All that he longed for was this simple light pictured by the oil lamp illuminating his feet and his face. Now to be sure, I know the rest of the chapter, Job goes on to wish for his reputation to return. His reputation and his testimony and his influence, he wanted that restored. But he also knew how he got all of those things in the first place. He had a lamp under his feet and a light just under his path. And you know, folks, it reminds us that God uses the smallest increment possible to describe how he leads in the lives of his own people. After all, if I'm on a journey, folks, if I'm on a pilgrimage through a life, there is nothing less, think of it, nothing less than I can do going forward than taking one single step. It's a step. It is not a leap, a flight, a jump, a trip, a cruise, a light year, or a country mile. One step is the least amount of progress that I can enjoy in a journey through life. You say, but pastor, we have the Bible. It shows us the whole future. The Word of God shows us all of eternity, and that is gloriously true. But you know how the Bible guides us now on this earthly pilgrimage to that eternal future? With a candle. With the light at our feet that shines on our face. In other words, what Job looked for that he once enjoyed was simply living by faith one step at a time. And it brings us to some truths. Three lessons this morning about the life of faith. The first thing to notice, number one, is a lesson of humility. Here's Job's perspective after his trial. Look at verse 2. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when God protected me when his candle his candle shined upon my head and when by his light I walked in the darkness note that very carefully he says God was the one who preserved me 
I walked in darkness by his candle and by his light, so that as prosperous and successful as Job was and as he became, he remembers that he didn't pull it off. That he wasn't the reason for it. You know, according to Solomon, one of the main reasons why a man's heart deviseth his own way, as some in this room are undoubtedly doing right now, is that man is wise in his own conceit. We are. We think we know more than we do. And so we love to make our plans and decide our futures based upon our own amazing intellect or experience or education or savvy or talent, all all of our abilities. You know, you look around, folks, and we are a nation that is absolutely filled with experts, specialists, professionals. They are experts in weather, economics, elections, geopolitics. And sometimes, honestly, it's just breathtaking how spectacularly wrong the experts are. On elections and polls, wrong. On on Ukraine and the war, when it began, so wrong. On inflation, the GDP, the economy, always wrong. On the vaccine, you get the vaccine, you will not get COVID. So wrong. (laughs) On the weather, climate. You know, folks, I know it's hot. I know that the waters in the Keys are at record high temperatures. I heard this week one pundit say, you probably did too on television, that the waters in the Atlantic, quote, are, quote, literally boiling. Now look, I know the original definition of literally, that which is true, that which is actual, facts. I know that that's the original meaning, and I know now it's used as an emphasis, but literally boiling. I think that's 212 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) Nobody's making ramen noodles at at Juno Pier. (laughs) Yes, the sun is hot. But you know, I watched Inconvenient Truth in 2006 twice. And I remember Al Gore and all of his experts guarantee that in 10 years there will be no snow, no snow on Mount Kilimanjaro, alluding to Hemingway's short story. In 10 years. I remember him saying that we would endure five Katrinas every year, every year, for the next 10 years. That was in 2006 he said that. Five superstorms. And you know, people actually moved their families to California based on that promise. The rising waters. We have two scientists in our church and they bought a house on the water so I thought I'm good. (laughs) In his 10-year 2016 deadline, he said that by 2013, all of the Arctic ice would have melted causing the seas to rise 30 feet. You know, that documentary won every award, every single award Hollywood and academia could pass out. And from 2006 to 2016, a lot of people held their breath. Experts make predictions. And I'll tell you this, I do not fault the experts for relying on data and creating models. I appreciate them. I appreciate predictions. But how about some humility, especially after being so spectacularly wrong? 
after the last election cycles, the two last, three last, four last, why do pollsters even exist? Who pays them and why? And again, I love data, I love science, cones of probability. I know what the word probability means, but I also know man's limitations. In fact, let me tell you the last time I really, really trusted the experts. Hurricane Irma, it was a Cat 5 when it hit the Leeward Islands, remember? A Category 5, terrifying. And you may remember that all of the models, all of the experts said that it was going to devastate Southeast Florida, that, that we were all going to die. Ben watched the news. He and I both were told by experts and the media, basically everybody, to evacuate this area or die. So, I saw the graphic, the little cartoon they made of the rising waters, and the car goes up, and the people were floating around, and, and Shepard Smith said, you're all going to die, we're all going to die, or whatever he said. And I reassured Ben, Ben, I've made the arrangements, we're evacuating. I got two tickets to Indianapolis on Allegiant Airlines. I had to show them to him, prove it. We're leaving, we got a couple days. Unfortunately, two days later, I had to show him the email that said, we're, we regret to inform you that all flights have been canceled. So now what? No big deal. Cancel the hotel in Indianapolis. We drive to the west coast of Florida because we were told that if you're 40, and I knew this anyway growing up in Florida, 40, 50 miles, and if you're west of any hurricane, you're pretty fine. So all the spaghetti models pointed east, us here. Are you sure, Dad? Trust me, just get in the car, we're going. So we go to Clearwater. And as soon as we check in, didn't even get to the room, it was an ordeal, that was, we were informed that we would have to be evacuated <laughs> from that hotel. Even though all the spaghetti and meatball models still showed it coming over here on the East Coast. But I said, why? They said, it's a zone A, and that's the rules, all zone A, or mandatory evacuation, regardless of the models. Ben's response when I told him that we had to leave where we just checked in was one word. Dad. <laughs> no problem, Ben. It's just protocol. They gave us the advice. Just go in a little bit. They said, go to Tampa. That's a zone B. And so we did. Got a different hotel. All was well. We we're going to ride out the storm the next few days. But about four hours later, the geniuses at the Weather Channel told us that this thing might wobble. That it might take a little turn to the west. They, I think they called it a jog. Yeah, it was a jog. So guess what? They kicked us out of the hotel in Tampa. And all of my preparations of avoiding all the traffic and the traffic jams, like we had gotten Gene many years before that, and Ben remembered it. We had to turn around and come back. All of my plans were for naught. In fact, worse than that, we were told, I said, I said to the people, I said, wait a minute, the model said you shouldn't trust the models. He said, no, you said trust the models. That Jupiter was going to look like the zombie apocalypse by Sunday night. So I checked for flights out of Tampa. No. I called Orlando. LOL, they said. Something like that. So Friday morning, we just check out and start driving north in a parking lot. Siri was no help. Google's trying to keep up with bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. We just go north, Montgomery, Alabama, from there is a seven-hour, seven-and-a-half-hour drive. It took us over 13 hours to get there. 
We got there the next morning. No hotels. I said, any hotels two hours away. No hotels in Huntsville two hours north. Everything's booked because everybody was like me. So I said, hey, let's go to the Montgomery airport. So we drive to the airport. And I go and I say, do you have any flights to anywhere? I don't care. Pakistan. <laughs> we hadn't slept for 40 hours. Any flights? And she said, you know, there's one flight just canceled, two seats to Dallas. I said, yeehaw, hot diggity Texas. <laughs> I took it. And so for six nights, we stayed at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport spending all of Ben's inheritance. <laughs> you know why? Because this genius trusted all those geniuses. The blind and the blind. Do you know how many people, you people, beacon people, sent me pictures of a palm frond in your yard and said, should have stayed here faster. <laughs> it just reminded me once again that when it comes to man proposing, and when it comes to the devices of a man's heart, when it comes to the future and probabilities, planning, scheming, predictions, we don't know what tomorrow holds. None of us do. And it is nothing less than foolish pride for any of us to think that our plans, that all of our purposes are founded upon man's certainties. Proverbs 27.1 is very clear. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James 14 says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. It's a lesson of humility. You can tell when you read these words in this chapter, in the next chapter, the next, and in the one before it, you can tell that Job has really learned what it means to be humble before God. The second thing you'll notice, number two, there's a lesson about security. Look at verse two again. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. Verse five, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil, when I went out to the gate through the city. Can I ask you a question? You ever notice how the book of Job begins? I mean the first chapter. I mean the very first verses of the first chapter. Folks, it begins with a man who is perfect and upright. It begins with a family whose substance is enormous. It says that his sons feasted, that his sons and daughters-in-law, that they all had their own houses. In other words, it begins with security, financial security and otherwise. And all of that security was given him by God. As a matter of fact, it was God who blessed Job because it was God who was directing his steps. In fact, it was God who pointed to Job's faith in trusting him one step at a time when he talked to Satan. Now, folks, if God is the candle shining in your face and at your feet, if God is directing your steps, and He is if you're a child of God, besides the inherent faith included in that, what is the obvious blessing that is included in this reality? Well, you have steps. Steps. 
You may not know, in fact, you don't know exactly where they lead. But you do know that God is directing your steps. You do have this promise that wherever they're leading, God is the one who is directing the steps. And when a Christian knows and trusts that God is directing each step, he doesn't have to worry about the next one. Not really. Nor does he have to obsess over the previous one. So, you know, people love to quote Job when he said, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's glory for a believer. But can I remind you what Job said before and after he said, when he hath tried me? Because that's the statement of faith. It's in chapter 23. Real quick, turn back there, would you? Job 23. Here is the context of that wonderful truth that many of us sing in a great song. Job 23, verse 9, on the left hand, where he doth work. But I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. The Lord directeth his steps. So that even if he's going through a trial... A fiery trial where he comes forth as gold. It was God who directed his steps. In other words, God's not just aware. He's not just involved in the life of a believer. He's actually directing the smallest increment possible in life's process. That's astonishing to me. When we drove some of those back roads one of our trips Ben and I took, I noticed something vintage I hadn't seen since I was a boy. In fact, this was vintage when I was a boy. There used to be in the south, and some of you may remember this, along the side of these highways, these little red signs. And they were sequential. They were six consecutive, they were always six, they were consecutive road signs, and they would always make up these little sayings. Now you had to drive, you would read the one, and you had to keep driving, and eventually you would get the entire saying. The last sign was always Burma Shave. That was the product, whatever that was, some lotion, I think. So you're driving, and it says, hardly a driver, drive along, is still alive, who passes on hills at 75. Burma Shave. Car in ditch, driver in the tree, moon was full, so was he. Burma Shave. Why is it when you, because you want to see what it says next, right? Why is it when you try to pass, the guy in front goes twice as fast? Amen. Burma shape. Don't take a curve at 60 per. We hate to lose a customer. Burma shape. And they go on like that. Anybody here remember those signs? How many of you? You people are so old. And you know, when I saw those things, I, I thought, that's not unlike a life of faith. Sometimes the sign on the road doesn't make sense. You've got one line of an entire message, and it might seem very cryptic. But you know, if you've journeyed long enough, that, if, that you know that eventually there's another line to follow, 
and then another, and then another. And you know, ultimately, you'll have understanding, and then your faith is even strengthened. Some of you here this morning, you're at a place in your journey where the current sign, the current message doesn't make any sense to you. You read it. In fact, it might even be frightening to you or discouraging right now. Well, it really was for Job. And if that is you, just keep going a little farther. Just keep faithfully following, trusting, following as best you can, and the message will come through. Years ago, I had one of our girls call me from college. She said, Pastor, I'm a senior. I still haven't found God hasn't let a man into my life. What do I do? I'm going to be graduating soon. And so I counseled with her, and she cried a little bit. Before we hung up, I said, I said, you know, I have a life verse for you. She said, really? I said, yeah, it's in our text. Job 29, and I said, it's verse 8. The young men saw me and hid themselves. <laughs> she cried and said, Pastor, that's not funny. <laughs> it's in the Bible. She's married now and has five children and they're all serving, they're all faithful and it's a faithful family. She just needed to wait and keep on going. You know, beloved, you think about the wonder. You think about all the ramifications of the truth that God is directing your steps. God himself is doing it. What's going to beat that? Now, I remember hearing a football player, and some of you will remember this. He caught that winning touchdown pass in the Super Bowl, and it was a big deal. I mean, a big deal. And when they asked him about it later, because his, his father had died like two years before that or something, he said, you know, I knew, I, he was dead serious, I knew that when the ball sailed over the defender's hands and into mine for that game-winning touchdown that my dad's spirit nudged the ball, how about giving the quarterback some credit, amen? You know, that my dad's spirit nudged the ball so that I could catch it. You know, I got to tell you something, folks. I'm glad that I'm not trusting in my dad's nudgings. That's a sentimental thought. What I think about is reality. That God himself is directing my steps. You know, there are not a lot of preachers in history whose sermons I make a point of reading. But one of them I do, and I have, and his name was W.E. Sangster. He was a British pastor. W.E. Sangster was in London during the Second World War, and his people would have to rush down into the basement as best they could at night because of the Nazi air raids. 3,000 of them would gather to hear this man preach, and everybody knew he was anointed. And at the end of the war... He was asked to come to the United States to have like a preaching tour, and he did. And while he was in Texas, he noticed that he had trouble swallowing and then trouble walking. And eventually he was diagnosed with what at that time was called muscular atrophy. By the end of his life, of course, for a long time, he was prone and could barely lift a finger. And people marveled at his faith. 
Reminds me a lot, really, of Brother Southey. He once made the statement that he said, quote, I am only in the kindergarten of suffering. For years, he was in a bed. Unable to speak, the only thing he could do was take a pen and scribble messages here and there with the help of someone. His last written words were on Easter morning, and it was in a little scribbly letter to his daughter. And he wrote these words, Dear, dear one, it is unfortunate to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout, He is risen. But it will still be worse and far more terrible to have a voice and not know to shout it. And W.E. Sangster shouted it with his pen as big as he could, He is risen. And with those three words, He went to heaven. You know, our faith is built upon certainties. The resurrection, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, who guides us because he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. A lesson of humility and security, finally and quickly. Please notice this lesson on responsibility. In our text again, in verse 3, it says, When his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness. Can I ask you a question? When it says I walked, well, who's doing the walking? When Solomon said the Lord directeth his steps, is it his steps or man's steps? The Lord's directing them. And obviously, folks, the answer is both. God directs the steps that makes up his workmanship, but you have to take the step. You and I, as God's people, have to actual take, actually take the step. I was reading a while back the wonderful, familiar story of David. A little shepherd boy, and he's going up against Goliath, of course, the warrior of the, Philippi- the Philistines. And you know, in 1 Samuel 17, when you read it, it's filled to the brim with, with lessons of faith in God. This young man says, you know, you come against me with a sword and a spear. I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. Teenager. This day, David said, will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand? To King Saul earlier, this young man said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw and the jaw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. The whole story is chock full of a young boy's faith. All right, so let me ask you a question then. Why? Why does it say that David chose him five smooth stones from that brook? David chose them. He chose five. Why not just one? And he chose five smooth stones. You know why? Because rock slingers know that smooth stones are more accurate. Physics and experience than jagged stones. So that with all of David's faith, he still understood his own responsibility. He didn't completely disregard circumstances and facts. He utilized them. But he trusted in the God of steps. And I am certain of this today, beloved. I am sure that there are folks in this room and listening elsewhere right now 
who need to trust God in the darkness. These are dark days, and for you, some of you in this room, these are dark times personally. There are some in this room that need to trust Him in that darkness and be thankful and responsible. Not because God has lit up the next 20 years for you, Mm -mm. but He shed His light on the next 20 minutes. You know what you're supposed to do right now. Ten minutes from now, you'll know. His word is a lamp unto my feet. And for the just who shall live by faith, God showing us our next step is always, always enough. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. You know, at the beginning of the message, we stated that God would have a message for you and you should pray and ask God to reveal it. This is one of those messages and truths I know that every child of God needs because the just shall live by faith. We don't know. Who would have ever thought in a billion years that this year would have been noted for Chinese weather balloons, for a fire in Canada, for record heat? Nobody knew that, except God did. So you know what he calls us to? Trust him. Trust him in the darkness. Trust him when you can't see a year from now, five years from now, where you'll be, where your children will be. You can't see it, but God sees it already. And all he says is to follow me. Take his light. There are three sources of light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Ye are the light of the world, fellow believers, and I am the light of the world. Jesus, spend time with Jesus, spend time with fellow believers, and spend time in the Bible. You have all the light you need to take your next step. Pastor, I'm here today, and I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer by God's grace and mercy. I, I'm saved today, but I needed this reminder and this message as a Christian. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building? God bless you, and God bless you, and yes. Trust him. Trust him as Job did when he was prosperous. The Lord hath given And trust him when he was persecuted, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're not saved. You're not born again, a child of God. Could we pray for you? Pastor Black, that's me. I don't know for sure I'm saved, but I'd like to know it. I need to know it. Who who would say that with, with heads bowed and eyes closed? And I won't embarrass you or come to you, but we would pray for you. Who would say that? I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you raise your hand really high until we see you? And at home as well wherever you're listening now. And amen. We're going to pray as always here and have a time of invitation. And if God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll obey his voice. Father, bless now this time. And I pray for those who have asked for prayer. So many hands, so many people and hearts and all of us, God. We don't know what the rest of this year holds. We don't. We do know, Father, that there will be blessings and mountaintops and glories and joys. We also know, Father, there will be challenges and trials and tears, for we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. And through both of those, Father, through both of those, please help us to be reminded that you're directing our steps and to trust you in those directions and to commit ourselves to your word and to your people and to Christ himself. Bless those who have asked for prayer, Lord, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.